You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. And if you like my show, then I want to tell you about a hilarious parenting podcast called What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. It's hosted by Amy and Margaret, who are both comedians and moms of three. But that's where the similarities end because Margaret is laid back to the max and Amy loves making lists and planning ahead. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, Amy and Margaret wrestle with a common parenting issue using research, lively debate, and tons of humor. So if you're stuck at home right now with your kids, this is the perfect escape. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts or at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Hi, everyone. It's Robin here. Welcome to Parenting Our Future. Today, I have a really special guest. I am talking to Dr. Annie Snyder. She's a former teacher and educational researcher, and she currently serves as a senior learning scientist within the learning research and strategy team at McGraw-Hill. She holds a doctorate in educational psychology from Teachers College, Columbia University, and is interested in the links between learning science, research, teaching practice, and families' roles in education. Uh, Dr. Snyder has been happily working from home with her three sons since 2016. Oh my goodness, do we ever need to talk to you? <laughs> here. Oh my goodness. Okay, we have so many questions for you. I'm saying we because I know everybody listening it like wants to know what you have to say about school and COVID and the COVID slide and all of the things. So thank you for being here. It is my pleasure. Awesome. Now I am just gonna start by asking you the first thing that I think on everyone's minds is that we're feeling anxious. Parents are feeling anxious. Teachers are feeling anxious. And we know that stress is contagious. And so our kids are definitely feeling anxious, especially if they're getting it from all of the big people in their lives who are the ones who are supposed to have the answers and the ones who are supposed to be in control. So I wanna ask you, how do we help teachers how do we help our kids with this anxiety that we're all feeling? Yeah, it's, it's, I think, normal and to be expected that all of us are experiencing this. I think the world is experiencing some level of trauma and anxiety because of um, what has been happening. And I've been really interested lately in reading about the concept of bravery, because bravery means that we must act positively within risk, even when we are feeling fear. Mm -hmm. And so there are specific things that research has shown that we can do to be brave, both as adults and as we're showing kids. So you hit on a big one, which is modeling for kids mm -hmm. how we are brave and actually put saying these words explicitly. I'm feeling nervous. Um, I'm feeling you know, with maybe with examples that don't necessarily have to do with school, but are a little bit easier to tackle. Like, oh, I am feeling a little bit nervous about cleaning up this room today, but I'm going to take a deep breath, do a little bit of exercise together, put on some music and we'll go. And so that's modeling for kids. And we know that that's very effective. That also means though, that we as adults have to foster our own bravery. And that's true whether we're teachers or whether we're 
you know, parents and caregivers, or we're in that space where we are both the teacher and the parent and caregiver, which is going to probably continue on. Um, and that's the place where those recommendations for taking care of yourself as the adult, you know, taking that moment before you even interact with the kids, even if that means getting up a little bit earlier in the morning, um, really matters. And doing something, even if it's for a short period of time, whether it's exercise or listening to a little bit of music or meditation, so that we're ready to be brave and then model that for kids. Mm. That's really interesting. I, I, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, so what you're saying is really speaking, and, and I love this actually, because this is something I, I even talk to the parents that I work with. Uh, about is sort of speaking in the language of feelings and needs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, look, you guys, I, I, I'm having a rough day today and I'm feeling a little off. So I want you to know that if I have a, you know, uh, a look on my face, it's not about you. Or if mm -hmm. I seem a little harsh, it's just because I'm struggling today. Right. And so what you're saying is, like, let's not say, I'm really nervous about the coronavirus and you going to school, because that's not what we want to do. But right. just to model the, the language of the feelings and needs, right? Which exactly it, on so many levels is important because when we name our feelings, first of all, on a brain level, it, it activates, uh, it releases soothing neurotransmitters to the part of our brain that's activated, right? The amygdala, right? Which right. is the feeling center of the brain. Um, so that's important just to name it, to tame it, right? And, yes. and model it. Look, our kids are looking to us always to be the figure of stability for them in their lives. So you may have some feelings about it, but like what you just said is center yourself first so that that doesn't come through so that you can show your bravery and your confidence and they can then because they have mirror neurons in their brains, they're going to mirror what we do. That's why modeling works. Exactly, right? exactly. And it's fascinating because some of the, the neuroscience research has shown that at least in mice, and they think it's true in humans too, they're in the hippocampus, there is almost like a courage switch where if they can manipulate it, the mice would be, would, would be slightly more willing to take a risk. And um, it seems very likely that in humans, it's the same thing. This is interesting because the hippocampus is also responsible for two other things, regulating emotion mm. and memory and consolidating memory. And if you think about that, both of those things are incredibly important when we're thinking about school and learning. Yeah. And so if we're not kind of activating that and in a very positive way, it will make learning more difficult. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and one thing I want to, I want to add in, in general, when we're, when we are, facing going back to school and all of all that that means you know there, there's a few things that i think parents can do to check in with their kids first of all when you go to your kids you you make sure you are centered and not feeling stressed right you can feel stressed but later right just get it together <laughs> when you talk to your kids and then ask them what they know Ask yes. them what you know, ask yes. them what they're thinking, right? Because they may have a story of their own or they heard yes. from somebody else and that may be broken telephone, right? That might be a whole wrong idea. And you want to be the one who is in control of the messages your kids get, right? So you being informed uh, on what the school is doing, reassuring them that the smartest people, the most important people are 
are working to keep you safe, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and you are also empowered in your own, against the coronavirus with, with your own actions by washing your hands, by using hand sanitizer, right? By wearing a mask if that's mandated or, or, or something that needs to be done, right? That we do have control, right? We're not gonna just be victims of this, right? So I think all of those messages really help too. Um, you're, you're reminding me of something I've been, another thing I've been thinking about a lot, which is the notion of kids also have really good ideas. Oh. And the, the, the child's brain is naturally more creative and innovative because they just haven't experienced quite as many of the things that constrain adult life. Yes. And so there, I have found that the more that we open up the conversation to kids themselves and say, if you here is a problem and it it can be a real problem that you're dealing with. Like, here is a problem. We need to figure out how you're going to be in a Zoom meeting or like a kid would be in a Zoom meeting and the parent is going to need to be in a work meeting. What, how could you solve that? How would you solve that problem? It it. is remarkable what a six-year-old or a 12-year-old could come up with. Um, And so, so that notion of almost like creative play as a way to solve problems. Um, And then the notion of play. And I know we sort of have this idea that kids hit the age of 11 or 12 and they're done playing. And I think it's time to challenge that. I think all the, you know, humans play all the way through the lifespan. And so there's different ways that we can harness play at different ages to help address these exact things, whether it's role playing with a young kid or Um, with an older kid, hey, can you help me design a game for younger kids to play to help them feel less anxious is is another kind of way that you can start to get at this. It takes time, but I think it's worth the time to to do this with kids. You know what? I just just love everything you said. Um, So I want to just go back. When you ask a child, I mean, brilliant. Yes. So, so great. And not only is it helpful to ask a child to help you with a a problem to create a solution, they're going to be way more likely to follow through on the solution because they help us with it, right? Yes. Yes. I always say, you know what? You need to create a win-win. And how do you do that? Ask your kids to cooperate or to to contribute, sorry. But also as parents, listen. If they're going to, if you're going to ask them, then truly listen to them. That's what's important. And that lets them know that their ideas are important and valuable. Their thoughts are important and valuable. And to the most important people in their lives, which is their parents, like that is a huge message and what a boost of confidence, right? Absolutely. Play. Yes. Because kids sort their world out through play. They, Mm -hmm. they, uh, they, process what's happening in their lives through play. And Mm -hmm. if your child is really young and you can't have that conversation with them about the coronavirus, about what they need to do, you play it out or you draw it out, right? Like here we are in the classroom, you know, you know, where's the hand sanitizer or what are we, you know, where do we wash our hands? How many times do we wash our hands? What do we do? Right. Um, Or, or even draw out like, this is the way the class used to be. And now it's going to be like this, right. Where the desks, you know, just to show them what's going on. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think a lot of parents, in fact, a lot of my friends have reported that pretty quickly into um, the arrival of the virus in the U.S., 
children began acting out a lot of this through their play anyway. Infection games or like safety games or disaster games sprung up both online and some of the online gaming platforms. Um, but also at home, lots of, of parents reporting this. And I think it's, it's normal and healthy for kids dealing with really, really difficult things to have this way to, to express it. It's um, interesting because I'm also seeing that schools are, districts are picking up on this idea of, you know, in the research world, it's often called student agency, students feeling like they have control over their own learning experience. Many schools are starting to consider more of a, an inquiry, a project-based learning where, where we are still trying to hit on those core subject areas that we need to hit on, but also harnessing projects that um, really play into a student's interest for the exact same reason that you're talking about. If they're more motivated to solve problems, explore their own interests, they're going to be more deeply engaged. So that's one of the top things that I'm thinking about we can all start shifting towards as we're thinking about learning is shifting towards projects. Even if it can't happen in the district, it can still happen at home. Like really, what are you interested in? What can I do here at home to help foster that? Um, I think is a powerful way to keep the learning going. Yeah, I think that's really great. And I think that, look, we're, we're at, a, at, a, at a place right now where we're having to look at the learning and the way we've been doing things. So this is a great opportunity to maybe challenge some of the thinking that we've had all along, right? And look at, mm-hmm. you know, look at what really benefits kids, right? So let's, let's pivot a little bit from, from the anxiety side of things to the reality that our kids for the last, you know, for all intents and purposes, the last half of last year, they were at home and were not getting the same quality of education that they would have at school. And, uh, you know, you and I were both talking before we hit record, like I do with all my guests, and we both were saying, ugh, like, it was awful. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I tried to be positive and all that stuff, but it was really hard. And I have one typical child and I have one child that has learning disabilities that has, you know, barriers in his way. And I realized that he has a team at school that helps him and he didn't have that team here. And Uh there were, you know, there were no adaptations for him or anything. And, And you too struggled with one of your, one of your kids as well. So we both get the struggle. And, and so let's talk about going into school now. So we struggled over, you know, the last half of last year and now we're going into school. We know that school may be a hybrid of, you know, in the classroom online, uh, in the classroom fully, then maybe just shut down online. We don't know what it's going to look like. How do we address where our kids are at in terms of their education and what's expected of them for the next grade? Yeah, that's a a critical question for us to be asking now. And I really do think it's going to be a critical question for us to continue to ask over the next several years, because we know that this has shifted the paradigm of what it means to teach and learn. Um, So as as you were thinking about this, um, and as I was thinking about what you were saying, we know that one important piece um, that we will all have to do, both as um, parents and caregivers and within the schools is assess where our kids are, what, get a sense of what they maybe 
have missed what they accelerated at? Are there actual gaps? There's some research out there to, um, that is helping us predict the possible trajectories of, of what people are calling the COVID slide or, or gaps in learning. But the reality is not enough time has passed for us to gather enough data points across the nation to really know yet what that's going to look like. And I think a lot of it's going to be individualized. So um, at McGraw-Hill, we've been working really hard on RISE, which is a program that will do exactly that, kind of a di diagnostic baseline assessment, um, and then serve up uh, content and support to help kids, um, you know, catch up or, or relearn or even learn for the first time some of that content that they have missed. So we know that's going to be important. But on a parent and caregiver, caregiver level, I think one of the critical pieces that we could do, it, it has two parts. One is, what are the primary goals? Sit down for 10 minutes for each kid that you might be thinking about and say, what are my top goals for this kid for the next three months, for the next six months for the academic year. And the goals may or may not be academic. It, for some kids, it may be, I want my kid to really, really understand these fundamental math, math concepts. For, for others of us, it might be, I really hope that my kid emerges in, in six months as being able to focus more on a task for which he or she is less interested in, because that's a really hard skill, but we know that's going to be valuable throughout this course of school and into adulthood. So thinking about what are those things that I want my kid to learn, mm -hmm. um, and then communicating those clearly to the, the teacher or to wh whomever is providing the educational experience, even if it's you're communicating it to yourself. We know a lot of families are turning to homeschooling. Mm -hmm. So that means sitting down and evaluating how, you know, how these are my goals for my kid. How am I going to reach them? And then the great, you and I were talking about the great thing is we did have some time to learn. We learned what worked. We learned what didn't work. And we also learned some cool new ideas of, of ways of going about thinking about learning that we would not have otherwise. And so harnessing those things too, I think will help us. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the goals for your child, so are you talking about that from a parent's perspective? So looking like this is what I, I, my, my kid needs to focus on. From, yes, from a parent perspective, it, it's a little bit tricky for me because I'm in education. So it's hard for me to separate those two things out. So of course, I'm thinking about the academic outcomes. So I would love to make sure that my soon to be third grader is, you know, really comprehending what he reads, that he is deeply engaged in science. Those are some of the goals. But at the same time, I want to, you know, another goal I have for him is to be able, I mentioned this one, to persist a little bit longer. I would love to stretch out how long he can stay at a task that he doesn't particularly enjoy, because I know how critical that is for all of us as we're moving forward, you know, into adulthood. Right, right, right. Okay, got you, got you. Okay. Um, so, so then how, how are things going to be from your perspective when, when kids are back in school? You know, are, there, are they going to be relearning that last half of last year and then starting with the curriculum for the, for the next grade? Like, what does that look like? 
I think it varies. And we know lots of kids are actually already back in school. So we can start to look at the ones who've started earlier to get a picture of how this is going. I think what we will find is that now more than ever, the notion of differentiation or like individualized learning is going to be incredibly important because every single, every single learner will be coming back with a slightly different experience. Because we weren't all able to be in the same space at the same time for a while, that means that what each child experienced, we don't have that commonality anymore. And without that, that's again why we need to kind of assess what are the specific, you know, content needs of the kid. And equally important are the, what are the, the emotional and social and behavioral needs of the kids going in? Because we know that um, the impact of the pandemic varies depending on the home situation and what's happened since March. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so teachers really have a hard job. Teachers are incredible heroes. I have more respect than I can possibly say. You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And please don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you'd like to connect with me, all my details are in the show notes. And for a copy of my book, go to yellingcurebook.com. Now back to the show. So I want to ask you, you know, when this whole shutdown started, you know, I think that um, I might have been a little flippant about the whole school from home and like, oh, it's not going to be such a big deal. It doesn't really matter. Like, hey, like everybody go easy on yourself. You know, like we do not have to reinvent the, the classroom experience with our kids and, you know, let's not stress everybody out with, you know, like, look, we are here trying to survive. That's the most important thing is to stay healthy, right? And to, um, to do what we need to do to flatten the curve, right? That was really my take on everything, that the most important thing is that we stay healthy and we do our part. And now here we are, not in too different of a position, and we are going back to school and so the, 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 the two months ago, me, who was like, well, does it really matter if they miss this or miss that, especially younger kids? Like, you know, to me, it wasn't as big of a deal. Um, and I really, you know, didn't think the impact would be that, that intense. But again, here we are facing what could be an unknown type of school year. So first and foremost, my question is, does it matter that there are going to be kids that are behind that they didn't learn exactly what they needed to in the second half of the year, does it, does it matter? Or are they going to be okay? It matters in the sense that the next generations matter. And so I think for us, the way to be thinking about this is what in a post pandemic world, what do the next generations need to know and be able to do? And so Many schools are looking at the standards which guide what's taught in school and saying exactly that. What do we need to make sure that kids know and are able to do in the future? And some of those things are academic things. Um, learning how to read is absolutely critical. And so 
those those sorts of things are going to be prioritized and does it matter if a young child didn't learn how to read or lost some of those opportunities in that sense yes it does matter in that we want that child to learn how to read I think where we can start to flex our thinking is the notion of time because we don't, the benchmarks of what should be learned by when, we may not be able to, any of us, hit those exact benchmarks. We may need to stretch it. We may find cases where some kids need more time because of any forgetting that happened during that time. Um, we know that kids need lots and lots and lots and lots of practice, ideally in social settings, which is challenging right now, um, to achieve these skills. So the answer is, yes, it matters, but we, we have an opportunity here to be creative in how we think about this. And I'm already seeing this in reports coming out um, from districts as well as from families, um, kind of rethinking what this even means. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing you say and how I want to translate this from a parenting perspective is like, okay, it's happened and maybe your child is behind, but again, don't freak out. We will just, your child just might need more time and that's going to be okay. It's not, that doesn't, that doesn't define them uh, in terms of their success in life or even their success in school that that they just meet, may need more time and let's not judge each other or our child for that let's embrace that right and the, the notion of behind is one that i think we can we can think about too is behind behind what and are, what benchmark are we using to determine that i think that's where we can again be flexible and if we are thinking about our ultimate goal Things like we want our kids to be able to be innovative. We know, we have learned from this experience that the power of innovation is, is incredibly important when we're dealing with something of great global importance, right? And so we want our kids to be innovative. What are the things that we can do to push that forward? Um, and again, I think this is also an opportunity for us to combine some of these things combine teaching being innovative with things like learning how to read. We can, there are all kinds of interesting ways to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the more we come in with a positive and creative mindset, the, the better off we'll be. Okay. Uh, and of course, you know, this still has to be in alignment with the teachers too, because I'm, I'm picturing, mm -hmm. okay, so I'm taking my child to school. They are behind. I am coming uh, with an attitude that that says, you know what, it's okay. And, and like you say, behind using air quotes, right? I like I like that you're even challenging that, right? Because what it, what does it mean to be behind, right? What what does that mean? So I, I I appreciate that. But then you've got to be able to communicate that with the teacher and say, look, I know my son or my daughter does need a little bit more help, and and I'm okay. We we're okay to take it slow, or it's okay that that that. She's like that. We're not here to criticize her. We're just here to support her, right? Absolutely. And I think that's the place where both the assessment, like let's, let's keep evaluating where the kids are, is going to help because then there's concrete things that we can look at in terms of working together as a community to help the kids. Um, we can focus on those things. And then the notion of we can't, we don't have, we can't be fighting against each other. 
We have to be working. The old silos are this old idea of home and school and research and teachers all being different. It's time for those to, to come down. We are all together, a community working together, and we have to work together. And so if I'm going to a teacher saying, you know, I'm less concerned about whether my kid knows the times tables, but my teacher's saying, well, you need to be concerned about your kid knowing the times tables. That's a really great time to have a conversation and learn from each other and have an open mind because he or she, the teacher, may have some really good points I hadn't thought of or some perspectives I hadn't thought of and vice versa. And so the more we are coming in a collaborative, creative spirit towards each other, I think the better off we'll be as well. Right, right. Oh, yeah, that's that's really good. I, and I can see, you know, a teacher pushing back saying, well, you've got to do, they've got to learn times tables and, and almost that being like, <gasps> you know, like, okay, now I'm scared. Now I'm defensive. Mm-hmm. Now I mm-hmm. am in fight or flight, right? Now I'm going to fight with you or whatever. When we just need to say, okay, how do we get there? How do we get there? Right? And that brings us right back to bravery because it takes a lot of courage to be able to let go of old ideas that we've had. And it takes a lot of courage to say, hmm, maybe I need to consider some additional ideas beyond what I am thinking myself because there's probably things I could learn from you and you could learn from me. That that's not easy for us to do, but we can do it. We're good. We're, yeah. We humans can do this. We're good at this. We can do this. We can work together. And and you know, here here is at the the core of where I think parents get really freaked out is because we fast forward ourselves into the future, right? And we think, okay, if my kid can't do this now, what does that mean for them in their future? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for them in high school? What does that mean for them post secondary? What is mm-hmm. that you know? And and so before we know it, we are looking at a sheet of times tables that our kid doesn't know. And we have fast forward into the future where they're in jail. (laughs) Right. Like we just, we, we just don't even, we can't see that, that we can just calm down and just, and just take some time. And so what I challenge parents to do is to notice your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Because because that's fear. That is fear-based yes. thinking. And we do not yes. make good decisions out of fear when we're in a fear mindset. So ask questions. Ask, how do we get there? Say to the teacher, I am scared and worried. Can, can, can you help us? What mm-hmm. do we need to do? Right. And I know every single teacher that my kids have ever had, because we are open, my husband and I are open and we want to collaborate with them. There is no teacher that has ever shut their door to us. Right. You know, and we need help. And I, you know, like I've said, I have a son with learning disabilities and ADHD and he does need help, but as willing family as a willing family teachers want to collaborate with us and absolutely right absolutely and i think exactly and again it goes both ways i I have found always that if i say i need help with this with my son and also how can i help you is there anything i can be doing at home to support you is there anything you know that you need to help you and again the when we set the stage that way so we're not adversaries and we're not defensive that reduces the fear load for both of us for you know on both parties so that we can keep things moving for the kid and again that's another place where bringing the child himself or herself into the conversation in a strategic and careful way can also be helpful because sometimes we find that a kid 
isn't doing something or is doing something just because they completely didn't understand what the adults intended. And you can't really uncover those things without having that, bringing the child into the conversation every so often. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is, this is really interesting because the, really the thread that we're weaving through this entire conversation is really about mindset, isn't it? It's really about mm-hmm. setting your, you know, noticing your thoughts, noticing your own feelings and your own um, worries, acknowledging them, but also saying, I can still do this. Right. And I can have, I can, I can tell people that I'm worried and scared. I can, you know, but I can also be brave. Right. Even though Mm -hmm. there are scary things out there. Yes, it is scary, but I know that I'm doing what I can to advocate for my child to keep us safe. And I think that bravery and also some faith too. Right. And trust that, look, everybody is doing the best they can to make us safe. Teachers. And, and yes. let's, let's work together. I love it. Exactly. I love it. Um, do you have any last uh, words or tips or anything like that for parents that are listening to help their kids either whether they're going to be doing a hybrid of online school and in school? Like what, what do you, what would you say just overall, just to encourage parents uh, with this next phase? A few, I, a few things I think will be helpful. One is sitting down as a family and mapping out a plan. And I keep talking about this a lot with folks is make a plan A, a plan B, a plan C together as a family. Because we don't, if we've learned anything, it's that we better be ready to pivot. We don't know how things will play out. You may end up going to school and then having things have to shut down for a little while. Um, and so that's where those, those plans Um, If you even write it down, even if you don't exactly follow those plans, having something written out to refer to both for kids and for those caring for those kids can be helpful. It's also a great way to communicate with the schools. Um, And so what that plan entails, again, I think will vary. For me, it will be everything from where where in the house my kids will be (laughs) when when they're learning. Um, to what are the specific things that I'm hoping they're going to learn, to what are the challenges that we had previously that we need to keep working on, all of the, you know, and the plans for each of these pieces. Um, I do think it is likely that many, many students will encounter online learning in some form in, Mm -hmm. in, and we know that this was challenging for many families. So there are specific things we've learned from this that, that might help uh, for the younger kids, but also for some of the older kids. One really, really good trick before getting on a Zoom call for, for those synchronous times, but also even for the asynchronous, like watch a video, respond to questions, is some exercise right before. Mm-hmm. For, for whatever reason, um, for many kids, this you would think it sort of makes everybody too hyper to focus, but just as with adults, um, a, a few minutes of exercise, whether it's jumping jacks or dancing or something, pri- right directly prior to that can actually help set a center and focus. Mm-hmm. Um, another piece that I think is helpful for a lot of students is the notion of a written checklist, because whether at school or in an online setting or whether we're going back and forth, it can be difficult to remember the steps of what you're supposed to do before you even can get to the learning of the content itself. 
And mm -hmm. so if you're online, it might be remembering, okay, you have to open up Zoom. Okay, you should make sure that the door is closed. Mm -hmm. uh, truly, like a written checklist that kids can check off. Um, if, you're, if you're going into the school, it's going to be, okay, here's a checklist. Did I remember to pack my mask? You know, did I, you know, all of the new things that we're going to have to be doing, a written checklist could help. Great suggestion. Um, the one other, the two other pieces that I, that I think are worth mentioning. One is the notion of uh, a study group or, or like a, an online workshop. And so if it's possible to come up with some kind of group where kids can meet to talk a little bit about school, um, but it's not necessarily school per se, and it may, maybe can be socially distant in person or maybe it's only online, um, but that it's a regular, regular thing for kids to look forward to with other kids is, I think, going to be really important going forward, um, regardless of the model used by the school. Um, and the one last piece that I think we've learned from our previous experiences is the exploring accessibility um, in terms of how accessible is the content to me. So if you're reading something on paper, um, that's a little bit different than what I'm talking about here, which is if kids are expected to read text on a screen, is there an option to learn to listen to the text instead? And so we have started to see that for many kids with and without specific disabilities, tapping into some of those technological um, things that are available to them has actually proven pretty useful. That's really great. Those are really great uh, ideas. I love that. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I, and, and I think that we are, you know, this is serving to really turn education upside down and that's not a bad thing, right? And, I, and I'm glad that there's people like you who are looking at this, who are advocating for changes um, and wanting to, to teach our kids the best way that they, that they can. And that's different for every child, right? We all learn in different ways. And, uh, and I, I think that's really great. I think that you've given us a lot to think about, but also a re some really great ideas on how to move forward and, and sort of roll with whatever is happening. So be brave, <laughs> be courageous, and notice what you're modeling for your kids, which, you know, is hard sometimes, you know, I, I, I know that when I really struggled in my parenting, I was like, I'm not going to model, like, stop putting all the pressure on me to, to do everything right. But you know what, you can, you can, you can stress on your own and do your own thing. But when you're talking to your kids, just make sure you, you want to be the one to control those messages. Right. So, well, exactly. thank you so much, Dr. Annie Snyder. This has been thank you. Really, really great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and